a point to all that nonsense because we are starting a new series tonight called Be Afraid Not. And it's my walk of shame because I, I didn't even think it was me screaming. I thought it was Paul in the mask, but evidently it was me. So that's kind of embarrassing. But my name is Carla Chestnut, and I'm on staff at Orchard Hill Church and part of the basic team. And it is my privilege to announce uh, and introduce a very, very good friend of mine. I think we've been friends for maybe 15 years, which is crazy to think about. Um, Alice Shirey is going to start off the series, Be Afraid Not Tonight. Alice is a teacher at Orchard Hill Church. She, uh, at a point in my life where I had to decide, you can come up, where I had to decide if uh, it was safe to talk about my doubts and my questions or if I was going to be a Christian and a leader who kind of kept my doubts and my questions away from the church spotlight, um, Alice came in and said, ask the questions. Uh, Sit with them for a while. Sit with the doubts. Read widely. Think about things. Think about topics that are maybe you feel are off limits because the other side of it is your faith is going to be more real. It's going to be more present. It's going to be uh, sustaining And it's going to also help you bring joy and life to people around you. And that's what Alice has done for me in my faith walk. So I'm really excited that she's going to kick off our teaching series. So this is Alice Shirey. Give her a warm welcome. I love it when people talk about me and I sound like super wise or something. I was like, thanks, Carla. So that was me also in that video. I was mostly just ticked because Carter was bossing me around. He was like, can you go get something out of that cabinet? And I was like, seriously, Carter, are you bossing me? I mean, so that was really most of my angst was not the scary guy in the closet, but maybe it's a little bit. Okay, so fear. The room got very quiet. (laughs) When I was a little girl, I was a synchronized swimmer. This was before I was about 10. My parents decided this is something I should pursue. So there's a little picture of me. (laughs) That's like a black swimsuit with like an apron like snapped to it. Um, I'm the brown haired girl with my hair falling out of my bun. Um, So synchronized swimming, if you don't know anything about it, involves a lot of time with your head underwater not breathing. And sometimes we practiced outside in really cold water. And I, at that age, was, I weighed maybe 47 scrawny little pounds. 30 of it was in my head. I mean, I have a massive-sized head, if you can't tell from that picture. So, and one of the horrifying things that we were called to do as little 9- and 10-year-old girls was something called the chain dolphin. So let me try to explain this to you. It was 10 little girls floating on our backs, right? So you're floating on the back, on your back in the water. We're in the deep end, and we form a line, head to toe, head to toe, head to toe, across the surface of the pool. And the girl in front of me latches her feet around my neck. I then latch my feet around the neck of the girl behind me, and so on, until we form a long chain of freezing, scrawny girls with their feet attached to each other's neck. And then the stunt begins. The lead person starts to skull, skull, skull along on her back. She's pulling the whole line of girls. We're all sculling too. And then all of a sudden, the lady, the girl, the lady, the little tiny girl in the front throws her head back underwater and starts to pull the chain one by one underwater. So if you were me, 
really scrawny and little and not very strong, you got stuck in the middle, so you're floating along and you don't know when your head is gonna get snapped back underwater, right? So you're breathing frantically, never knowing when you're gonna catch your last breath. Sometimes you don't do it right and you just get your head pulled under. So one by one, we start all going under. The whole goal is to make a huge, huge oval. So you're being pulled under your, and then at one point in time, you're face down to the bottom of the pool. I have a picture of a pathetic chain dolphin done by only four pathetic girls. But you kind of get the picture, right? My thing was, my dolphin was like a massive size. It took like 18 minutes to complete the stunt with my face underwater. So, so you're breathing crazily, you're the little girl in the middle, you're sculling your heart out, right? And then all of a sudden your, your head gets snapped underwater, you're completely out of control, you have no idea when you're going to come back up for air. And you're pulling, 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 because the faster you go, the faster you can get out of this hell hole called the bottom of the swimming pool. <laughs> you're face down, you're face down in it with the girl's um, feet around your neck and you're thinking to yourself, I just need to get to the surface and I hate my parents. And I, <laughs> honest to God, like do not sign your kids up for this kind of crazy nonsense. And so finally, when you burst to the surface, a tangle of anxiety and panic and neurosis and hypoxia, which is lack of oxygen, you're supposed to float up quietly. You're supposed to like come up smiling without going or anything like that. But I never did. I came up bursting, gasping for air, making all kinds of horrible noises. And listen, I was so scared of this stunt that for a season of time in my short but illustrious synchronized swimming career, I could not complete even one chain dolphin. I started okay, and I was the girl in the middle, so I was, you know, kind of the ball game. And when I got to the bottom of the pool, halfway through the stunt, I would rip the girl's feet off my neck. You would do it too. I would pull my feet off the girl's neck behind me, and I would swim to the surface. And my whole team hated me. I was not afraid not. I was afraid. For two main reasons, and I want you to think about this with me. First of all, the situation was out of my control. And second of all, I had to wait for an unknown amount of time to get what I wanted, which was oxygen. And as I thought about that stunt and I thought about these two things, I, I realized that the Christian life, the life of following Jesus into his good but often surprising kingdom, asks these two things of us all the time. It asks us to follow someone who, who, who is really in control and we're not, and it very often asks us to wait. And as I was thinking about you guys, it just reminded me of my own kids. I mean, I have a 24-year-old daughter who's in her second job, you know, trying to make it in New York City. I have a 21-year-old daughter about to graduate, and so she's starting to think about what she's going to do. And I have an 18-year-old son who's a freshman, and he's like, life is good. So he, he doesn't quite know what's coming. But it's almost like you guys are all being like pulled toward adulthood, whether you want to head that way or not, right? You're pulled by some force beyond your control. You have to wait for God to come through for something, you know, and you never know when your head's going to get snapped back behind you. That's where the analogy falls short. But don't you find yourself thinking sometimes, don't you find yourself thinking Thoughts like this, what if God doesn't come through for me? And 
what if I'm supposed to be doing something while I'm waiting or not doing something while I wait? And what if I fail to do the right thing and somehow I screw things up? Or what if God doesn't give me exactly what I think I'm waiting for? In fact, what if he gives me the exact opposite? Those are, those are scary questions. And I got to thinking, you know, that when you ask those kinds of questions and then you have to wait, that waiting is also one of the hardest parts of the Christian faith. And waiting and fear often go hand in hand. It's why the single most common command in scripture is fear not or be afraid not, as Carter wants me to say. I hope he hears me say that a million times. And the reason it appears so often in the scriptures is because people fear. Thank you very much. So here's what I want you guys to know before I say just a couple quick things. First of all, you and I will always face fear. I'm so sorry to break that news to you. (laughs) Being a grown-up in no way takes away fear. In fact, being a grown-up sometimes makes it worse. Just... I was thinking, what, what was I scared of as a grown-up? When I was pregnant with my first child, I had a dream I had a chicken baby. I, the doctor, honest to God, in my dream, I had the baby, and the doctor's like, Mrs. Shirey, I'm afraid you've had a fowler baby. I'm like, what's a fowler? It's like a chicken baby. Anyway, I was scared of that. I'll stop with that one. Um, <laughs> And here's another big girl truth and big boy truth. The only way to overcome fear is to face it head on. Denial and trying to work your way around it only make it worse. And so as I thought about what I wanted to say to you guys tonight, I thought of three things that have helped me in my very long life, I'm even older than Carla, um, to face fear head on because I'm a person who has a lot of fear. And on the surface, you know, you're going to think as I say them, oh, that's, you know, whatever, that's so cliche. And, and, and I, I know they're going to sound that way, but I, I, I'm going to try to push beyond the surface stuff. So the first thing I think of when I think about being afraid is um, that I need to pray. And, I, you know, I'm thinking, I'm, I'm watching your proverbial eye roll, like when I tell my kids that. But this is what I want to say to you. I don't mean a nice little tiny prayer. I mean... When we're afraid, we need to pray for real. And I want to challenge you guys to start early with this. I started way too late in life to bring your full, real, honest, screwed up, scared self to God. No editing, no trying to hide ourselves from God by a bunch of fancy words as if we could do that. Best quote I ever read was from a um, spiritual growth professor out in California, and he said, I have this on a slide, he said, prayer is not the place to be good. Prayer is the place to be honest. I read that, and it was like, oh, that's awesome. You need to stop being so dang polite when you pray. I watched the pregame football show Monday night with my husband, Honestly, I sat there, I was like, seriously, there's a whole hour of this before the game starts? But do you guys know there's a segment in the pregame show called, Come On, Man? Do you know this segment? You know it, right? I told Chuck's like, only three people will know it, but thank you. So I I don't know quite the whole story behind it, but like allegedly they show stupid plays or a stupid thing a coach did or a stupid call the ref made, and then they show like a big football-y guy's face, and he's like, Come On, Man? And I thought to myself, that is what God does to us when we're all like, dear Jesus, I just pray I'm a little bit scared and I apologize, but could you just help me? I, 
Honestly, God is like, come on, man. And I thought, I honestly, that's why I watched it. That's why I watched it, to get that one example. And I thought to myself, we need to go back to our Jewish ancestors. I mean, these folks, did, is that still funny, or is it just <laughs> my shirt? Check my shirt. <laughs> you need to read again, I need to read again the Psalms, because these folks did not mess around. Okay, these guys prayed for real. So here's, I'm just going to give you one example, my favorite from Psalm 58. This is King David, a man after God's own heart. And he's obviously ticked at someone here. And this is what he prays to God. He says, break the teeth in their mouths, O God. Lord, tear out the fangs of those lions. Let them vanish like water that flows away. When they draw the bow, let their arrows fall short. That's kind of a guy comparison thing, I think. When they draw the bow, let their arrows fall short. That's outstanding. Then get this one. Get this one. May they be like a slug that melts away as it moves along. He's saying, God, may my enemies be like that slime that a snail leaves behind as it walks or whatever a snail does. And then this is kind of gross and sad, but still David prays it like a stillborn child that never sees the sun. Read the Psalms. They're filled with these kinds of prayers. God, where are you? Why have you hidden your face from me? Why are you taking so long? I'm terrified down here. I'm drowning. I'm afraid. I don't know what's going to happen to me. Where are you? Prayer is not a place to be good. It's a place to be honest. So when you are afraid or when you're waiting for God to come through for you, if you feel trapped in some kind of cosmic chain dolphin underwater without oxygen and no sense of when you're going to come up for for air, would you please just honor God by praying honestly and authentically and fiercely and with a little Jewish to yourself. Second thing I think about when I'm afraid is I think about trust. So I want to pray and then I want to trust. And this is a hard one. Again, um, I think it was David, Psalm 56. This is a great psalm if you're... um, This is David when the Philistines had actually seized him at one point in time. This is what he says. He says, when I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. In God whose word I praise. In God I trust and am not afraid. I think that's maybe a little bit of wishful thinking. What what does he say? What can mere mortals do to me? See, when we're really afraid, we need to trust. But here's the problem with that. If we're really honest... We have a hard time with trust because this is the question that we all carry deep in our hearts. Do you really care about me, God? Are you really going to come through for me? And it started all the way back in the garden right before Eve decided she was going to eat the fruit and and the, and the serpent, Satan, whispered into her ear, are you really sure that that's what God said, that you can't eat from any tree? He's holding out on you. He doesn't really have a good heart. You can't really trust him to take care of you. You know what you need to do? 
you got to take control of this yourself. you got to cover your own backside. And he whispers that same kind of junk to us today, especially when we're scared. Are you really sure that God cares about you and your future? There's a guy named St. Ignatius, who I happen to like, who says that sin is the unwillingness to trust that what God wants is our deepest happiness. And until I am absolutely convinced that God's heart toward me is good, I will do everything to keep my hands on the controls of my own life. Because if God's not watching out for me, then I better watch out for myself, right? This is always the battle, especially when we're scared. Am I going to trust God, or am I going to take matters into my own hands? But Jesus says to us so clearly, this is such a big deal to him. In, in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, he's, he's praying all this kind of stuff before he goes to the cross. And he says to his disciples, he said, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. He wants us to trust that his heart toward us is good. He wants you to trust that he is for you. He wants you to trust that he's in control and that he is going to work out all things for his glory and for the good of his children. He wants you to believe and to trust that he will always come through for you. He always will. Not in the ways always that you think he should, but always in ways that are absolutely and perfectly right. And this is what part of my problem was with the chain dolphin. Well, my main problem. I did not trust in any way that this stunt was going to work out for me well. I didn't trust my teammates. I didn't trust my coach. I didn't trust my own breath-holding ability. And what happens when we don't trust? We always take matters into our own hands, and that is what I did. I literally took my hands, put them on the girl's feet that were wrapped around my neck in a death grip, and I ripped them off, and I set my own self free, and I floundered my way up to what I knew I needed, which was oxygen, on my own. I ruined the stunt, I ruined the practice, and I ruined my team because I took control because I was scared. So David Benner says this. He said, fear breeds control. That is so true. People who live in fear rather than trust feel compelled to remain in control. And so you have, or I have, control issues. There's probably a little fear lurking somewhere underneath the surface. And so the more we fear, the tighter we grip on the steering wheel of our own life. And the more we do that, at least the more I do that, the more I screw things up. And so then what do we do? I mean, literally, what do we do? Because the truth of the matter is we cannot just will ourselves to trust God. Like, I can't, like, try really hard and just end up trusting God. It can't be self-generated. And so if... If fear breeds control, but I know I'm supposed to trust God and trust Jesus, then what am I supposed to do? And so I got to thinking that 
there are some of these huge truths in the Christian life. <clears throat> For instance, like trust God, we, which we cannot create just by thinking hard about it. We can't generate more trust in our own spirit just by talking about it or by head knowledge. And so the truth of the matter is that people have known for centuries that some of these things have to be practiced. They have to be worked out in the daily trenches of our life. They have to be exercised like we exercise a muscle on a regular basis. And one of the most profound ways that I have learned through my life to practice trusting God is by giving up. It's by surrendering. It's taking my hands off the wheel, not literally, over and over and over again. It's by refusing to stay in charge, even when I'm scared. It's refusing to muscle God around, or man, like, like I could, or manipulate circumstances to turn out the way I want them to. And I'm pretty terrible at this so far, at this giving up thing. But I'm learning. So surrender is the third and last thing I want to say. We pray and we trust but in order to trust, we have to surrender. You see, aren't Christians great at saying things like this to each other? Like, you know, you just need to trust God. And then we all just nod our heads like, yes, I, all, I need to trust God. You're right. And then we all, like, walk away from each other and go home and think, am I the only one who has no idea what that looks like? Honestly. So one way that I know to practice it, to actually grow in trust, is to trust. And one way to trust, for me, is to engage in these classic prayers of surrender. And I just brought one of them tonight. It's not really a super classic, but it's a modern classic. Let's put it that way. And this is something, literally, we can either pray in those moments when we're really scared, or we can, if we're smart, start practicing this kind of prayer over and over and over again so that when we get to those fearful moments, we know what to do. So here's just one example of a prayer of surrender. Abba, into your hands I entrust my body, mind, and spirit, and even this entire day, morning, afternoon, evening, and night. Whatever you want of me, I want of me. Leaning into you, trusting you in the midst of my life, into your heart I entrust my heart. Feeble, distracted, insecure, uncertain. Abba, I abandon myself to you in Jesus our Lord. Amen. It's a powerful thing even to say those words when you don't even quite believe them. But there's, there's freedom there. But I think we get confused sometimes. Surrender is not an excuse for laziness. Right? Like, I'm going to let it go, and then I'm going to go play Call of Duty for 17 hours and wonder why I don't have a job yet. <laughs> Just a thought. <laughs> so, quick couple things on what surrender isn't and what it is from John Ortberg. I couldn't put it any better. He said this. This is so important for us to get, though. He says, surrender is not the same thing as being passive. 
God's will for your life involves creativity, making choices, and taking initiative. Surrender does not mean being a doormat. It does not mean you accept circumstances fatalistically. Oh, well, that whatever happened must be God's will. It doesn't mean you stop using your mind, stop asking questions, or stop thinking critically. Surrender is not a crutch for weak people who cannot handle life. Instead, he says, surrender is the glad and voluntary acknowledgement that there is a God and it is not me. Don't you think God is like, I was wondering when you were going to get around to that. In surrender, I let go of my life. When I surrender to God, I take myself out of the center of my universe and I place God there and I yield to him. I do what he says. I take my hands off the wheel and I hand control over to him. See, surrender is not laziness. It's power. So I pray, I trust, I surrender. How did I conquer the fear of dying during the chain dolphin? Well, I wish I could tell you that I prayed, and then I trusted, and then I surrendered, but that would not be true. I didn't pray except for the crazy way a 10-year-old girl who might scream her head off to God underwater while her oxygen levels were dropping, like, oh, God, oh, God, I'm going to die, help me. So that was my prayer. But what happened at this point in my story changed everything, the day that I was ruining the dolphin over and over, because my mom fully dressed for the day and watching me from the bleachers, saw my agony. And she did what good moms and dads do when their child is embarrassing themselves and ruining life for their teammates. She stepped off the bleachers, she walked over to the pool, and she lowered herself all the way into the cold water, clothes and all, and she treaded water out to me. This is before I was old enough to be mortified by this happening. And she treaded water right out to me, and she took my little big head in her hands <laughs> and she said I am right here you are fine you can trust me my eyes are fixed on you so try again I won't let anything happen to you you are fine and once my mom was in the water see I knew I was safe because for Pete's sake it's my mom She's not going to let me drown. I was still afraid, but my mom was with me. And so when my panic started, when I got halfway under the water facing the bottom, I just pictured my mom treading water above me, keeping an eye on me, so knowing I was safe. And I did that frickin' chain dolphin over and over and over and over. <laughs> and so that's, you know the picture really of Jesus in your life. That's what he does for humanity. Because he sees humanity as a whole, but he also sees each one of his children when we're scared and floundering and terrified. And you know, I mean, the incarnation story is really, I mean, if you think about it, God through his son, getting right down into the world with us, clothed fully in his glory, willing to get a little wet, so to speak, because he sees all of us floundering, and he wants to say to each one of you tonight, you know, whether you're worried about what you're going to do with your life or who you're going to spend your life with or if you're ever going to have a job, you know, or if there's money issues or issues with your folks. I mean, I don't know what all it is that lives in your heart that brings you fear, but Jesus is right here in the midst of it with you, and he takes your sweet faces in his hands and he says to you I'm right here 
you don't have to be afraid. Or even if you are afraid, you can do it. Because my eyes are on you. I got your back. You're going to be fine. Let's pray. God, it's terrifying out here, uh, down here, however you want to put it. And I'm so glad that you knew that. And our fear doesn't surprise you. And our fear doesn't make you mad at us. Like, we're not letting you down. You just love us. And you want us to know you're with us. We can be honest with you. We can practice trusting you. And we can do the really brave and awesome thing of giving our lives over to you and then watching what you do next. Help us with that. Amen. So you guys had these ropes when you walked in, twine, string, whatever it is. So we want you to take that and tie it in a knot. Work with me. Fray the end. I think you guys have pre-frayed ends, perhaps. And carry it with you this week, knowing that Jesus says to you, what? Be afraid not. Put it on your backpack. Use it as a nose ring, an earring, whatever. God is with you. Have a good night.